today's episode of Grief Haven. I'm your host, Julie Dirks, and today we're going to be talking about secondary losses. We all know the initial loss, which is the loss of your person, but many are very unprepared for that ripple effect that initial loss creates in your life. And typically that's because we've been taught to think about grief just as death-oriented, and we don't factor in the impact that the secondary losses can have on us. Now, in those first few weeks, we are so focused on making all the arrangements for the funeral or celebration of life. And when we get through that, you slowly start to realize that your life is still left in complete shambles. That once solid foundation that you had, it's crumbled beneath you. And I think this hits everyone the same, whether it was an unexpected death or not. Those secondary losses seem to catch us all off guard and they come in many forms, which each one make that whole of the initial loss just expand a little bit further. Now, I only truly know the secondary losses from a widow's standpoint. And even another widow might have different secondary losses than myself. And I just want to touch on secondary losses on a whole and some examples of what those could be if you have experienced a loss. Now, for me or many widows, there's a whole strew of secondary losses that can come up and they can come up gradually over time. It's kind of almost like a domino effect, really, in a sense. There can be a loss of financial stability. There can be a loss of direction for the future of your life. There can be a loss of the ease of socializing when you once had your partner to go to things with and now it's just yourself and that makes you really uncomfortable. And for me, Jason was a social one. I was more of the homebody. So going out gave me more anxiety doing it myself. And there there's just that loss of ease for me. There can be loss of friendship, loss of a parenting partner if you had children together, loss of identity, loss of health, loss of a partner to make decisions with. There's a loss of intimacy, a loss of belonging, like where do you belong in the world, loss of your future dreams that you had together, even loss of faith. There's just so much entangled in those secondary losses. Now, the loss of identity, I think for me especially, was the most immediate and surprising spillover impact when I experienced Jason's death. I mean, the person that I was before would never be again. And that was very instantaneously after he lost because of how quickly things change when you lose someone so significant in your life. I went to bed a wife and woke up a widow. And that was a huge piece of my identity. It was based on my relationship with my husband. And perhaps you're a sister, a brother, a daughter, a son, a wife, a husband, a mother, a father. And when we lose someone, we often feel that we did lose this relational sense to ourselves, And that's a huge part of our identity. And you can ask yourself, like, who am I if I'm not a wife, a husband, a mother, a father, a sister, brother, etc. And, you know, I know in our hearts, we're still those people, even though they're not physically here. But the role that you play now is not the same as if they were physically here. And even this is a huge factor for a lot of people who have taken on a caregiver role when someone became ill and they became their primary caregiver 
And so when that person dies, you may feel your sense of purpose is less clear. Your identity became so defined by caring for them that it can be really hard to regain a sense of self. And even if you weren't a caregiver, like just because of how tied in we are with our relational status to these people, just that ultimately ties into our sense of purpose. And also some of the ones that hit really hard and initial were how Jason came home from work and got ready to go out that night. So with the plans of coming home, right, he died suddenly. So it was so strange and bizarre to me that he was physically gone, but his stuff was still all around the house. The clothes that he changed out of that night were still laying on our bedroom floor. He had one of his coats still hanging over a kitchen stool. He still had shoes at the door. His stuff was everywhere. And some people like to get rid of that stuff right away because it's too painful for them to look at it. For me, it was a comfort thing and I needed the time to process what was happening. And it was something that he couldn't even fathom doing, picking up his clothes. I think his clothes stayed on the floor for months after he died. The same with his coat was on the chair because it gave me just comfort seeing it there. And this may seem crazy, but for me at the time, having his things around also felt like a way for my boys to still connect with their dad. Being so young when they experienced their dad's death, I have pictures of them in his boots and walking around in his shoes and playing with his coat. It just, for me, felt like a way they could connect with him at that time still. And feel their dad's presence. And these types of things, like going through their clothes, going through any of their stuff, it takes time and everyone has a different timeline for this process. All his clothes that were in her closet took me almost two years to go through and for and figure out what I wanted to do with them. And giving myself that time, I found the perfect way to use his clothes and had my wonderful aunt gratefully took her time and created two very beautiful quilts for my boys to put on their bed. A lot of people don't see those things as a secondary loss of having to deal with all this stuff, but it is. It's part of grief that comes in after that initial loss, right? Anything that comes in after the initial loss is a secondary loss. And a lot of people think that that the next step after your loved one dies is to go through their stuff and sort through it and get rid of it, donate it or give it away or find something to do with it. But I think it's a step that shouldn't be rushed. It's a step that I'm very thankful that I did take my time and I trust myself in knowing when I was going to be ready. And it was kind of always in the back of my mind, like, when should I do this? Is it time? There is a pressure to follow this certain timeline that somehow has been created by society. And at times when people were coming over to my house, I thought to myself, they probably think I'm crazy that I still have his coat hanging on the stool. Mind you, some people found comfort coming over and seeing Jason's things as well. But that didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is how I felt when I seen it. Was it still bringing me comfort? Did I still need to have it there? Eventually, I decided to hang his coat up in the closet. And then eventually from there, do something with that coat. But 
I had to let myself go through the process. I had to trust myself. In the initial stages of Jason's loss, I had pictures of him everywhere in the kids' rooms, in the living room, in the basement, on the fridge. Those things brought me comfort just to know that he was still all around us that helped me with my grief. But there came a time where I didn't need his pictures all around me anymore. And I slowly took them down when it felt right to do so. And it can be the craziest of times that you could just be walking by something that's theirs and think, you know what, I'm ready to get rid of that. I'm ready to take that down. I'm ready to do something with this. And you listen to yourself and you do it. Never pressure yourself into doing something because it's only going to hurt you in your grief journey. And in the beginning of losing Jason, I was pressured to do something that I wasn't quite ready to do yet. But from that pressure and shame that I felt, I made myself do it. And from that experience, I learned to trust me and know that I knew the right times to do things. And nobody else is in your shoes but you. And you're the only one that can know when the time is right. And you'll likely come across people's opinions and judgments with things like this. But Just please remember to trust your inner intuition and feel what feels right for you. And don't put a timeline on things for yourself because it is only can set you back in your grief. I had a counselor tell me that it was wrong that I hadn't washed my bed sheets yet, which, yes, I realize isn't normal to not wash your bed sheets for a month, but. I couldn't bring myself to do that because it felt to me like I was washing a part of Jason away and I just wasn't ready to do that yet. But from the pressure and shame that I felt, I went home from that appointment and I washed the sheets. Did I get through it and I had to work through the emotions that came up with that? Yes. But like I said, it did teach me to just listen to myself and my own intuition and know what was right for me. And even when you are ready and you do make those changes and you do move their stuff and there's that adjustment period that it feels weird that it's not there anymore and there's a process that goes along with that. It's all about taking your time and making sure you're ready though. Another loss that can have a really big impact on us is a loss of friendship or it just changes in friendships. When Jason died, I did truly find out who my friends were. I had friends who would do anything for me. They would check in on me, bring me food, come help me around the house, take me out to get me out of the house, drop off food. And then there's friends who barely acknowledged Jason's loss or they wanted to pretend it didn't happen or gave me my week of grieving and wanted to rush me back into who I used to be and how things used to be. But Again, I wasn't the same person anymore and I couldn't just go back to that. So I truly believe people rush you or want you back to who you were because it brings on such uncomfortable emotions for them. And it just, it is looking back really interesting what grief and death do bring out in individuals, but it's a sad fact of grief that on top of losing your person, you often lose other relationships too. I mean, friends and family might think that we're grieving too long or not grieving long enough. They might be uncomfortable around our sadness and become more distant or resent us for not being able to spend time with them in the ways that we used to. Friends who promise to be there full of at exactly the time we need the most, but also people who you least expect can start showing up for you 
in beautiful ways. And I had some really beautiful friendship bloom from this eventually, which I'm truly grateful for. But it is a hard part of a loss and we can't force anyone to show up for us. But you are going to have those people who will keep showing up for you. And, and those are the people that you want to hold on to. You can have a loss or change in your beliefs. The impact that grief can have on your beliefs can be really difficult to identify and put into words even. The death of your loved one may have changed the way you view your religion or cause you to doubt your entire belief system. It can put some people in like a crisis mode because they've lost something that felt so fundamental to them before and that just makes you lose your footing even more. And for some people, there is that sense of community that comes with their religious beliefs, which they also may lose. And it leaves you feeling very distant or isolated from your whole community. Then we have financial loss. Death can have a deep impact on our finances. If your loved one was sick, you could have overwhelming healthcare costs that come with that. Funeral expenses. There's sometimes going from that dual income to a single income. Or maybe the person who died was financially supporting you. But then there's also the fact that maybe you're suffering too intensely to perform at work like you used to. Because you're typically not given a lot of bereavement days and you have to go back to work fairly soon. But either way, the added pressure can really compound the stress and anxiety of grief on those aspects of your life. You can have entire outlook changes. And your perspective on the world can be deeply connected to whether you have a more general optimistic view that the world is safe and everything was predictable and the lens which you see the world after a loss can be deeply impacted and can entirely shake how you feel about life and can leave you feeling more negative, jaded, pessimistic, unable to engage with other people or activities the way that you used to. And not that that's going to be the the way you feel all the time over your grief journey as you dive into your grief and your feelings and emotions, your perspective on life will change again. But that initial outlook can deeply rattle you and change you from what you used to have a view on the world. So that can leave you feeling like, what can I do about this? Like, do I just have to deal with these secondary losses? Something that I strongly recommend is taking the time to assess your secondary losses. I myself am a very visual person and I needed to see what those secondary losses were and how they were affecting my life. Because sometimes when we see those losses written down, it does provide that visual for just how complex the experience of grief actually is. Like, okay, yes, I am going through the pain and the sadness of losing Jason, but I'm also going through all these other things, which just piles on so many different layers of your grief. And in a practical sense, this exercise also helps to conceptualize the things you need to help cope with. I mean, if you don't understand fully what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, you don't know how to help yourself. But if you can see and write down the things that you're feeling that are the secondary losses and how that's impacting your life, you can find ways that are going to help you get through those really difficult times. 
like through that process, it's going to help you also acknowledge and name your feelings. If you're feeling really shattered because your spiritual identity has been shaken to a core and you're not sure what you believe in anymore, if you see that and name that, it's going to have less power over you. And you're just going to see it as something that you're struggling with right now that you might need support from a friend to help you through that. And you could talk it out with them so that you can wrap your head around about what you actually believe. I think for me, I didn't really necessarily have any strong beliefs before Jason died. And it took a lot of time. But now I do have a very deep spiritual belief from my loss. Everything you can build on again, but it just takes time to get your footing down into to sort through everything and finding other people who get it. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's gone through a loss themselves, but a compassionate friend, but also support groups, connections through social media. Social media can be so powerful these days. Finding people who are going through something the same as you and knowing that you're not alone. And there's always grief coaching and therapists that can be that safety net that helps keep you afloat. There's so much power in all of these knowing that you don't have to do this alone and just having a sounding board to help you sort through all these secondary losses and how they are affecting your life. And just being honest with yourself even about what you're going through. But also, if you can, being honest with people close to you who want to be there for you. People who want to help don't always realize the slew of secondary losses that you're dealing with. And you might need to tell them so they can understand that you are going through so much more than just that initial loss and it will help them have a better understanding of why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and they can show up better for you also give yourself grace i always say this but you you can never give yourself enough grace when you're going through something like this there's no right or wrong way to grieve there's no schedule to adhere to, especially when you're sorting through all their things. There's no stages you need to check off a list like I've talked about in my last podcast. And if you're supporting someone else in their loss, I want you to keep in mind that grief will take many forms and look different day to day, sometimes even hour by hour for them. The most valuable thing that you can do is to just keep showing up and acknowledging your friend or family members, hey, knowing that there is so many layers to the grief and get familiar with their secondary loss. If they haven't told you what their secondary losses are, maybe ask them so that you can better understand and help them figure out what they need to help cope with these secondary losses. And don't rush them through anything. They need to go at their own timeline and if they can really tap into their intuition, they're going to know what's right for them when it's right for them. So that's what I have for you today. If you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please share it and help spread these important grief topics. You can follow me over on Instagram at Julie Dirks underscore grief coach. That's J-U-L-I-E-D-E-R-K-S underscore grief coach. I appreciate you and sending all my love.